0: Father, your your mercy is uh, forever. It's new every morning. We, When we wake up, no matter what's going on in our lives or what's going on in the world, we can be sure that your mercy is as full today as it was yesterday and as it will be tomorrow. So we, we thank you that we don't have to work our way toward you, that you came and found us and that you sent your son. You were the missionary to us. Uh, when we were your lost children, and we pray that in these next few moments we would learn as we sit at your feet, uh, that we would learn from our Father, uh, learn to live uh, like your Son Jesus, and we pray it in his name, amen. Amen. Well, as we just moved past Father's Day, uh, the topic of parenting has been on a lot of our of our minds. Um, and part of what's so crucial to parenting is uh, the wisdom that's passed on from parents to children. And uh, a lot of times, the wisdom that's passed on is, is passed on in sayings. Many of us in here can maybe think of a saying or a phrase that mom used to always say or that dad used to always say, I want to I try something. I want to see if you guys can come up with some. Uh, just slip your hand up if you can think of something your mom, no cussing, uh <laughs> that your mom or your dad used to say or still say you know? my mom used to tell me garbage in garbage out garbage in garbage out okay uh it's 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 memorable four words it's short it's compact it's a proverb it's a saying it's a maxim it's something you can remember uh, to help you remember the truth that what you take in ends up coming out uh anyone else okay Thank you. Think before you speak. Yeah, it's like thinking before you talk, not uh, thinking after you talk. Right. But in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, when we, it, sometimes when stuff gets translated, it gets reversed. Renata. My father said you have to be relaxed. You have to be. Relaxed. Relaxed. <laughs> Relax. Don't do that when you want to go do that. My mother used to say, thank thank God for every closed door, because that means he has something better Okay. As some of us may have heard it, and then there's an open window. A closed door means there may be an open window or something like that. Again, kind of poetic, right? Using the imagery of doors and windows. Anyone else? Doug? That's a good one. You know, and some of these uh, we, we, we then pass on to our kids and share with others. I grabbed a bunch of ones that are, that are just common. An apple, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Um, whether that 's specifically true doesn 't is not really the point. The point is if you eat healthy you won 't have to spend time at the doctor 's office trying to get healthy. Uh, be careful what you wish for that 's one of those things you might just say to your 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 kids you know just hey be careful what you wish for you know uh, uh, don 't count your chickens before they hatch um, what are you talking about i don 't have chickens well, no, you know what they 're talking about they 're saying don 't don't don 't count on something before it 's actually yours. Uh, Beggars can't be choosers. Uh, Rome wasn't built in a day. You might, hey, you know, you're you're basically saying be patient. Right? Why not just say be patient? There's something more memorable, more teachable. Easier to grasp it and learn it if you put it in the context of like, wow, that's true. Roman was an amazing empire, but it wasn't put up in one day. One man's trash is another man's treasure. We just had this rummage sale and some of you might (laughs) (laughs) be like, honey, why, why in the world did you come home with that? Someone else 's trash, but treasure me, you know uh, we we live by sayings, we live by proverbs, um, and what you pass on your children it 's that moment that you 're strapping the backpack on right before the bus pulls up, and you just want to give them something to to latch onto during the day or when they 're getting in that car and they 're about to drive off to college for their first semester it 's that that phrase that you just want to leave them with uh, you, you can think of a, a coach grabbing his. His rookie by the face mask before he takes the field for his first real big game. And he just, and he, and he just grabs him and he's like, Hey, you know, these guys are going to come after you, kid. They're going to come after you. Don't you let go of that ball. You remember the plays. It's, it's those words, those phrases that you want to ingrain in, in the, in the person's mind so that they're ready for the world. And the book of Proverbs is, is, is a book where a dad literally collected The best sayings that he could get his hands on, that he can write, that he could come up with, and put them together in one book for his son. But God inspired it such that it would be preserved for generations and speak God's truth to us today. So let's turn to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be here over the next few weeks. Book of Proverbs, right after Psalms, right around the middle of your Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, there's some available in the pews in front of you. And I want you to see... We're going to look at the first paragraph that kicks off this whole book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. The first nine chapters are like a really long intro. And he's just giving lessons to his son. And then from chapters 10 to 29, uh, he's, he's just... They're like one-liners or three-liners or four-liners that are that are like what we just shared together, but a biblical wisdom for us. I want to share three of them with you that I just kind of plucked at random um, before we look at this first paragraph. Three of them, just examples. We looked at kind of American Proverbs and our parents' sayings, but three examples. You can turn there if you like. Two of them are in chapter 12 and one's in chapter 15. Keep your finger in chapter 1 because we're going to come back. I know I I normally don't make you guys jump around. Chapter 12, verse 1. Let's just look at an example of one. Whoever loves discipline, this is Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof or correction is stupid. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. If you love discipline, you love knowledge. If you love discipline, that means you, you love wisdom, you love knowledge, you want to be a wise person. But when you're rebuked and corrected on something, if the correction is right, sometimes someone wants to correct you on something and it's not, it's not true. But if it's true and you don't listen to it just because you refuse to be corrected, that's dumb. Right? That's, that's 12-1. That's an example. Now look at verse 25, same chapter. Verse 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You know, sometimes you're, you're having anxiety and you're having a hard, hard time and you kind of got that cloud over you and somebody just says a, a word of encouragement and it lifts you up. It doesn't erase the circumstance, but just that word of encouragement. It's well placed. It's a good word. It's, it gives you hope and it, it lifts you up. It, it makes you glad. And so go one more. Chapter 15, verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1. This is one of my favorite, but it's one that's really hard to do. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, someone's coming at you and they're mad and they're kicking up dust and they're yelling at you at something. If you answer softly, It'll it'll ease the wrath, it'll ease the situation and it won't become a fight. But if you come back at them kicking up dirt and you come back at them, you pull out your sword and you start it's gonna be a messy quarrel. So these are these are proverbs, they make sense, they're not hard to understand, um they're they're wise, um and it's the, the book is chock full of them. They're lesson upon lesson upon lesson that Solomon who wrote this Learned from his dad, David. Learned from the Lord. Learned from experience. And you remember, some of you, that Solomon was... God said, I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? And Solomon said, I I need wisdom because I don't know what in the world I'm doing. And God gave him all the wisdom that he needed and more such that no king before him or king after him ever came close to matching Solomon's wisdom. And Solomon collected these sayings and these proverbs and put them into a book for us to learn from. Um, But today... In chapter 1, we're going to look at lesson number 1. We're going to look at the lesson that if you don't learn this, don't even read the rest of the Proverbs. None of the other Proverbs will even make sense unless you get lesson number 1. You remember that scene in, in Karate Kid? It's been a long time, but they just did this remake and the kids love it. Um, but in the original one, Daniel, the kid who's learning karate from his mentor, Mr. Miyagi, they walk into this room in this dojo-looking thing, and there's two banners with this, this writing on it, and Daniel can't read it. So he asks Mr. Miyagi, what does this say? He says, oh, these are two rules. These are two lessons to live by. The first one is that karate is for defense only. That's rule number one. What's rule number two say? Rule number two, first learn rule number one right? Rule number two is, no, don't move on until you really get rule number one. And the same principle is applied here. If you don't get proverb number one, the top proverb, the king of proverbs, the number one lesson, lesson one, first base, then you can't progress and move forward. Let's read the first paragraph, one through seven. He sets up that lesson number one by explaining what the purpose of the book is. Why are we reading the Proverbs? What's the purpose of it? Well, he says it like five times. He says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, what's right, what's just, what's fair? How do you know what's right, what's just, what's fair? That's what these are for. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise and let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying for the words of the wise and their riddles. So what he's saying is, look, there, there's a purpose. You see, all those twos, tos, to know, to understand, to receive, to give. So not only is the purpose of it to receive wisdom, but to give wisdom. And then verse 6 again, to understand. So there's this learning, there's this understanding, there's this, this grasping of knowledge that makes you wise. And then verse 7 is lesson number 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a few reasons why this is lesson number one. The first one is obvious. It's the first one he gives. A second one is as you read through the Proverbs, this comes up again and again. It's worded a little differently, but it keeps saying the same thing. It's rule number one. So then he gives you some rule number two, three, four, five, and then he keeps bringing you back to rule number one throughout the Proverbs. You need to fear God. If you don't fear God, you're a fool. If you don't fear God, you won't get wisdom. Why? Because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I looked up that word beginning, so I'm like, what's he mean, beginning? You know, uh, it, it means probably what you would guess it to mean, the first phase in a in a series of events. Uh, the first phrase of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens, same word. It's the same word in the Hebrew, in the beginning, at the starting point, first base, first lesson. The first thing you need to know about wisdom is that you need to fear the lord the beginning of knowledge the beginning of instruction lesson one for wisdom is the fear of the lord the first step it all begins with the fear of the lord Um, i think the words in this verse aren't hard to understand but the concept is hard to learn the concept of it is difficult because everyone around us screams the opposite I mean, out there now, the, the mainstream thought is if you think you need God, you're a fool. It's the, it's the inverse of, of what we just read. You're a fool if you base your science on your belief on God. You're a fool if you raise your kids according to some archaic notion that there's a God out there that's going to punish you if you don't do. You're a fool if you think that you can't do this and you can't do that because there's a God out there that's going to get you. You are a fool if you fear some deity out there. That's an old, archaic notion. Religion is just to control people. Religion is just to keep people, keep the masses organized and oppressed. Religion is what causes uh, Holocaust. Religion is what causes genocide. Religion causes wars. Religion is why the t- towers went down in 9-11. Religion, religion, religion. Let's just take God out of the picture because that's the wise thing to do. If you guys don't hear that message every time you turn on the TV, every time you watch a movie, you're deaf. This is the opposite of what the world communicates. And there's something inside of us that wants that, that wants to reject God, that wants to lift off the, the weight. You think of the story of the prodigal son. God, give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. I'm tired of your rules. I'm tired of your do's, your don'ts, your this, your that. Your wisdom is dumb. I'm tired of your oppression. That's all it is. You're only giving me rules to oppress me. I want to go and, and live it up. And those of you who remember Luke 15 remember how that ended up turning out. The world's message is that the last thing you need is God. And so it's important, even in these ancient times. I mean, forget postmodern and, and you know, atheist, the new atheism that's around. All the way back here, he still knew he needed to put that as rule number one. Rule number one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Son, don't, don't bother turning the page and getting into chapter two. Don't even finish reading chapter one. Not that it was written in chapters, but... Don't 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 even finish rolling the scroll to the next saying if you can't get this one because it's the beginning. It's the starting point. If we look at those three proverbs that I showed you, um, you'll notice. And with a lot of these proverbs, you don't have to believe in God to say, yep, good. That's a good proverb. That's a good saying. If you remember, we looked at uh, 12 verse one. You don't have to turn. Now. I'll just read it to you again. Remember we said, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I mean, most people say that, most high school teachers will say that, hey, when I tell you you're doing math wrong, you'd be a fool to not, to say, you know what, you're just trying to oppress me. You just want to get red marks all over my, you know. No, I want you to pass so you can go to college, fool, right? I mean, this, this is why I'm doing it. That teacher doesn't have to know God to see that there's wisdom in that. The student doesn't have to know God to see that there's wisdom in that. This person's training me. This coach is teaching me how to play ball. This parent is te- this this uh parent is teaching me how to keep a house. Uh, this teacher is teaching me how to do math. Um in, in verse twenty five, we remember we said anxiety is a man's heart anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Everybody believes that. I mean, that's why people, millions of viewers tune in to Dr. Phil. Here's this anxiety, Dr. Phil, what's a good word? And he gives a good word. Well, he gives a word. They believe that. Do you need to know God in order to agree with that verse? No, you don't. Look at verse, uh, we we talked about 15, verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1. We read, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Somebody pokes you in the chest and you push them back, you know it's going to be a fight. Everyone starts looking and they lean up against their high school lockers. And they know what's about to happen. You push them back, it's going to be a fight. If he poked you and you push him back, he's not going to go, oh, my bad. You fight back? Okay. It's a fight. That's what they wanted. And so if you fight back, it's going to be a brawl. Do you need to know God to agree with that? No. And so the, the message of the world is not forget wisdom. Wisdom, who needs that? No. They're saying get wisdom. Wisdom but you don't need God to get it. That's their message. He's not saying, look, all these things are illegible. You can't even read them. If you don't understand lesson number one and you go to read the Proverbs that we just read, you, you'll be like, I don't even, that's so deep. But if you read number one, okay, now I understand it. No, it's totally understandable, totally agreeable to your atheistic neighbor, totally agreeable to your, to your, to your boss, to your neighbor, You know, everybody in your life that, that, is, that may reject God. These are totally agreeable things to them. A soft answer turns away wrath. I get it. I like that. And so you notice that people without God try to achieve this wisdom. But then that brings us back to what does this mean then? How is this the beginning of wisdom if all those things can apply as wise things without knowing God? How can the fear of God be the beginning of knowledge if you can know all kinds of things and not even know God? It's because without God, all the wise sayings in the world that you could ever collect don't mean anything, ultimately. They ultimately don't mean anything, and they don't make sense. Um, Solomon is accused of writing three books of the Bible. This one's obvious. It says it right at the top. Song of Solomon is debatable, but he probably at least had a hand in that. And then in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is such a weird book that the author doesn't even put his name. It's just like the preacher. I'm going to preach at you, but don't email me, right? Uh, it's a little bit anonymous, but most scholars think this is, this is Solomon at work again. And as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, it gets real depressing real fast. As you read through it, he talks about I, I had all the money I needed. And I could do anything I want. I could have boats, ships, horses, chariots. I could take out countries. I could take over land. I could build homes. I could do anything I wanted. And it was all meaningless. So then I tried women. And I had all kinds of wives and other clues, probably solid, you know. And it was all meaningless. I tried women. I tried children. I tried knowledge. I read book after book, scroll after scroll. People came from all over lands and different foreign countries to, to, and I realized they can't teach me. I'm, I'm, I, I can teach them. My, my knowledge is spilling out of my ears. I can't even have it. It's just all chock full. And I pursued knowledge and understanding and instruction. And I read books and there's just no end to it all. No matter how many books you pull off out of the library shelves, you still leave empty. It's not fulfilling. There's no meaning in it. Where's the meaning in it? Chapter after chapter, verse after verse in Ecclesiastes, he's just, he's just berousing you with, with different examples as to why life is completely meaningless. And you're reading the book like, uh, why is this in the Bible? I, I thought life was full of meaning. It's because his point is that life is meaningless without God. You can pursue marriage without God. You can have kids without God. You can own yachts without God. You can be highly educated without God. And all of it means zero without God. He's saying in that book of Ecclesiastes that unless God is at the top, unless your focus in life is to bring glory to God, to bless him, all these things underneath don't matter because they don't last. They don't give you eternal life. They don't fulfill your life. So I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to look at those three Proverbs one more time. From the perspective of someone who decides to not fear God first. And then we'll see how the Proverbs make sense. The first one is 12 verse 1. Whoever loves discipline. Loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof. Is stupid. Whoever loves knowledge loves no- whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Okay. The atheist, the, the rejecter of God would agree with that. But if you don't fear God first, then you need a whole different set of values to understand what reproof to accept, and what reproof to not accept. I mean, you love knowledge, and if you really want to know and grow in wisdom, when someone corrects you, you'd be stupid to not listen to that correction, right? Now, if someone comes up to you and says, now, you're a great family. Mom and dad, you guys are great, and you got beautiful kids, but you guys guys need to just let them do anything they want. Kids need freedom. Kids need to just explore, experiment. Do they wanna, do they, do they wanna have sex? Let them have sex. Do they wanna experiment with drugs? Let them experiment with drugs. It's better that they experience the consequences of it than you protect them and give them boundaries. It's, that's just dumb. So I'm rebuking you. You should not discipline your kids. If you hate reproof, it's pretty stupid. The question is, do I accept that reproof? What is that reproof based on? When they're telling me that kids, all the kids need is freedom in order to grow. Loving your children means letting them do anything they want at any time they want. Let them run the house. You have to make a decision if that's a reproof that's acceptable or not. If you realize it's acceptable, then you accept it, and that's wise. But if it's not acceptable reproof, that's not knowledge. Well, where's the basis? You ask them, where did you get that? Oh, it's the hot topic in the community now. A bunch of us moms, we get together at the local pavilion, and we sit around and sit Indian style, and we eat lemongrass, and then we discuss what the best way is to raise children in a postmodern context. And you go, wow, so what sources do you use? Oh, Dr. So-and-so out of U of C, and, and Dr. So-and-so out of UCLA, and, and here's the resources, and here's the footnotes. You go, wow, okay, are they authorities? And so you start researching, you get into it, and you go, what is their basis? And they go, well, it's about people, and it's about psychology, and it's about all this kind of stuff. And you start digging and going back, and you realize there, there's, no, there's no standard. What, what makes something good for one person and bad for someone else? Like, the reason why they reject God, and they, you go, where's morals come from? How do you know what's right and wrong? They go, well, societies kind of make it up. So if a society gets together and they all agree... That Jews are to be killed. And they go, you know what? Let's do that. That's what's right. Does that make it right? I kid you not. Their answer is yes. They have to. They have to say yes. That if a society decides that a Holocaust is the right thing to do, then it's right for them. Because in their societal context, that's what they decided was mutually beneficial for everyone. Survival of the fittest, blah, 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 blah. Here's the footnotes. Here's the scholars. That's What's right for them? Guys, if God is thrown out the window, where's our starting point? If I didn't fear the Lord, my starting point would be when I get up in the morning, whatever felt good to me. Why would I put my life in the hands of the community or the hands of other people? Why are you smarter than I am? Why do you know more than me? Now I'm going to go my way. And it just becomes a big mess. And then the parent, duped by foolish reproof, starts letting their kids do whatever they want, and it ruins the kids' lives. But if you begin with the fear of God, and someone comes up to you and says, here's how you should do your children, here's how you should teach your children, and you go, you know what? That's not what the Lord tells me. I don't accept that. Someone comes up to you and says, you know what? You're letting your kids do anything they want. And the Bible says there should be discipline. There should be boundaries. You've got to help them. And you go, does the Bible say that? Does God teach that? And you look and you're like, wow, it's all over. Yeah, you're right. That's knowledge. That's instruction. Let's look at one more. Two more. Verse 25 in chapter 12. Everyone would agree with this. Love God, hate God, don't know God, reject God. Everyone would agree. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. Yeah, if you're depressed, an encouraging word—that's that's great. Well, let's take the the probably the greatest source of anxiety was probably the prospect of death. We ignore it. We, we pretend we don't. You know, we don't think about it. But death is—that's um, that, a dead end that we all know we're barreling down toward, and it's and, and we don't want to think about what's after that, or you know, it's just, it's just we don't want to think about it. We want to busy ourselves. But well, that's a source of, of anxiety. Or you could think of the anxiety that people experience when they lost a loved one. Last week, my wife and I had to go to a funeral because uh, an old friend from the church where my wife and I met in Chicago was sideswiped by a car that ran a red light. He was on his Harley, and so he flew off the bike, and then oncoming traffic finished the job. Left behind a wife, three boys. So we sat there at this funeral. We're sitting down, and the three boys are in the front next to mom. And there's pictures of him everywhere, and people are getting up, and they're just talking about how great of a guy he is, how great of a guy he is. And it's really, really depressing. And the only relief, the only uh, sense of purpose and meaning in the whole thing There's one person after person that gave a testimony about Glenn Anderson. Talked about how much he loved the Lord. And we know where he is right now, guys. He's with Jesus. One guy even said, you know, we used to worship together in the worship band, and now he's a part of the best worship band the universe has ever seen. Save a spot for me, Glenn. There's funerals, guys, where you can't say that. I have two funeral templates one for the believer, one for the unbeliever. Why? Because they're radically different. One for the believer. I mean, we can go to that passage that says, we don't grieve like those who don't have hope, guys. We grieve with hope. But if you don't know Christ, you don't know Jesus, you don't know what happens if God does exist and you do meet him and he goes, why should I let you in? And you're like, um, cause I, what are you going to say? We have a hope that's sure and confident because of what Jesus did. He paved that way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You know him, you can get to the Father. No question. Was Glenn a perfect man? No. But did he know Christ? Yes, that's the hope. So if somebody's anxiety that's weighing their heart down is the idea of death, what word does the world have to give that person to make them glad? If you reject God, the best you can do is you just dissipate into nothingness. Don't worry about it. If you begin with the fear of the Lord, you understand what life is because you understand what creation is. In the beginning, God created. You fear the Lord first, now you know what a word what word will make somebody glad. Even the sting of death can be nullified. Even the condemnation that you feel because of the things you've done can be voided if you know Christ. That's why the fear of the Lord brings meaning to the Proverbs. Let's just look at one more. Chapter 15, verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1. We'll just do this one briefly. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Nothing disagreeable there. I don't think most people, unless they have a few drinks in them and just love to brawl, they're not going to have a problem with chapter fifteen, verse one of the book of Proverbs. Soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up, stirs up anger. This is one of those verses that's you know what? Let's get along. Somebody starts a fight, don't start, don't don't get back, don't try to get even. Um, you know, try to love on them and they'll, they'll come around. It's better to make them your friend than to keep multiplying enemies. And I mean, it just makes sense. But if you back up, that's the close up view. If you back up the focus and, and, and take in just the perspective of life and the perspective of society and people and how we get on, what is the purpose of getting along together if there's no purpose in life? I mean, why should I respect my neighbor? Why should I love my neighbor? Why shouldn't I get even? If he pokes me and I know I can take him out, why not take him out and never poke me again? Right? Why not? What we have to fall back on is, you know what? If you want to fight back and you're a good fighter, go ahead and fight. I'm a geeky wimp, so I'm going to just use a soft answer. And so we end up with relativism. What's true for you may not be true to me, depending on how you know how well we can fight or how angry we are or or how passive and non-confrontational we are, just depending on our personality, is what's right. This is saying, no, what's right, it doesn't matter how tough you are. It doesn't matter if you can take the person on or not. What's right in that situation is to try to quell the wrath with a soft answer. That is the right thing to do. That is the wise thing to do. Why? Because love of neighbor flows from love of God. That's why the first commandment is love God first, then love your neighbor. The two connect. If you take love God out, this one, hey, that's questionable. That one, you know, love of neighbor, that's, again, why, why should I not, why should I not hate my neighbor? It's because of this one, the vertical one. Love God first, that puts into context, that's somebody that God created. You remember in James, he says, hey, you can't come in here and worship God and then go out in the parking lot and, and, and curse your neighbor. That person is made in the image of God. That's why. Because that person is made in God's image, when you spit on someone or say something or do something to, uh, that is against them, it's like spitting on the image of God. So that's why. Now, if you take the image of God context out and we all just zapped into existence or over you know, billions of years came from some sort of singular nothingness or something and, and we're all just like molecules that got together, man, why shouldn't I beat you up? Why shouldn't you take me out? All the rules go out the window if you don't fear God. We can go verse after verse throughout the Proverbs and see why lesson number one is lesson number one. If you don't fear the Lord, if you don't get to the beginning of what knowledge is, the knowledge disappears. It becomes meaningless. It becomes um, relative. Your knowledge could be different from my knowledge and you can't tell me what to do. I can't tell you what to do and it becomes a big mess. But if you fear the Lord first, then you're ready to begin your journey through the Proverbs, I want to leave you with this last thought. Um, the word fear is a difficult one. I'm tempted when I preach verses that talk about fear of God to say, "Well, it doesn't mean fear; it just means like you know, just respect." But have you read the Old Testament? I mean, have you read Revelation? I mean, there's something to fear about God. I mean, he 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 loves the sinner and hates the sin. Yes, but apart from Christ. God can't separate the two. I mean, do you understand? Apart from Christ, he can't separate you from your sin. It's all balled into one. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Jesus died to separate it, to come in between you and what you deserve. That's the gospel, isn't it? And so the reason why Jesus died on the cross was to absorb not God's lovey-dovey feelings, but the wrath that that had to be executed on sin. And so there is this sense of wrath, there's this sense of holiness, there's this sense, I, I think fear is a good word. Not scared, but fear. It would be scared if there was no Christ. But there's, there's fear together with confidence for those who know Jesus. Throughout the Psalms, Jesus, God is referred to as a refuge. In the same context of saying that he's the one that doles out the wrath. He's the one that doles out wrath. But those who run into him and take refuge in him are protected from his own wrath. Jesus is the refuge. And so if we leave God out, the Proverbs don't make any sense. If we bring God in but leave Jesus out, the Proverbs will only serve to condemn you. Have you always turned away wrath with a soft answer? No. You know, have you ever failed to discipline your kid in the right way? Probably. You now, Have you ever broken the rules or, or done something foolish when the Proverbs tell you the wise thing to do is the other thing? Yes. Well, then what's to protect me from God who whose holiness is perfect? It's Christ. So when we know God, the Proverbs make sense. And when we know Jesus, the Proverbs don't serve to condemn us. They serve to give us guides for living a life that's full and rich and meaningful. The way of wisdom is the way of Christianity. The way of wisdom is the way of living underneath the umbrella that Jesus provided for you. And so when we fear the Lord, we don't fear him like we feel like we're going to lose our salvation or we're going to get killed. Uh, We fear him in the sense that, you know what, I know God is a God of a certain character. He wants things a certain way. He is a certain way. And my life is defined by trying in Jesus, by the power that Jesus gives me and the authority he's granted me to live a life that stays within that umbrella. That's how God designed it. We tell our kids not to touch the hot stove, not because we're dictatorial despots that just want to give the kids rules. We know they'll get burned. And we don't know what burn is. We don't know what, what how to choose between door number one and door number two. So God has provided in his word guides that apart from Christ would condemn us, but in Christ teach us to live Christian, full, abundant lives. In the next few weeks, we'll look at other lessons, but first, remember rule number one. Let's pray. Father, we um, we're humble. Uh, your word is rich and full with so much uh, that we can learn from. Uh, there's so much knowledge to gain and wisdom to get, instruction to receive. Um, and Lord, we pray that uh, as we Move through, uh, some of your proverbs, um, that you would use it to, um, instill in us a healthy, um, understanding, uh, fear of your holiness, um, but a fear that we can operate under. It's a fear that reminds us of the cross. And so there's also a boldness and a confidence that comes with your grace. And you freed us to live the way you've promised. You've given us the marvelous gift of making sense of the Proverbs so we can explain to others in our lives, to our kids, to our parents, to our neighbors, our friends, why these Proverbs are wise. They're wise because we begin with you. They're wise, they're smart, because we we start with its author, the God of the universe, Yahweh our creator, the giver of, his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to worship you with our lives in wisdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.